to see everyone. Are we doing okay? Yeah? Doing good? Well, we are ending our Kryptonite series this morning. I uh, hope you've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed hearing, not just teaching some of the sessions, but hearing some of the other people. You know, we had Dylan Williams share with us. We had Eric Robertson share with us. They were both phenomenal messages. And I encourage you, if you missed some of them, uh, we understand that not everyone can be here all the time. So uh, we plan for that. We actually have CDs of the messages in the foyer. Um, if you go to our website, VFC Thomasville, you go to Sermon. You can listen or watch them Uh, on the app. uh, You can listen or watch sermons there as well. So we want to make sure that you get the word in you uh, throughout the week, not just on Sunday mornings. Amen? Yeah, yeah. Well, good. Well, it's really good uh, to be here. Really excited about um, finishing this up. You know, Kryptonite, uh, if you're familiar with the story of Superman, was something from his own own home planet uh, that hurt him. Uh, and it and it made it diminished his powers in the same way there are things in our own lives um, in our own backyard, so to speak, that hurt us spiritually as well, and they keep us they weaken us, they keep us from being who God has called us to be and we have been talking about these different spiritual kryptonites uh, that that have been going on. We talked about fear, uh, we talked about busyness. Uh, we talked about pride, uh, and today we're going to talk about guilt and shame. Guilt and shame. I just also want to let you know before I continue, I know we keep talking about the app and stuff. We're not trying to be super annoying about that. We're just trying to empower you to learn more and more. Uh, our, the sermon notes for this morning are on the app. If you, if, you open, if you download, open the VFC app, and you go to Sunday at VFC, everything you need for Sunday is there, including a Bible as well. Um, and so if you click on sermon notes, you'll see today's message, and it's actually fill in the blank uh, notes so you can keep up and type in the answers uh, as we talk about it. Cool? Cool, 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 cool. All right. So we're talking about guilt and shame, guilt and shame this morning. And so I want to kind of define these terms. They kind of go together. It's not uncommon to hear guilt and shame talked about together, but, but they are very different. Here's the difference. Guilt is regret over what you have done, while shame is regret over who you are. Guilt is regret over what you have done, while shame is regret over who you are. Now, the reason that they're, they're commonly talked about together is because unchecked guilt will lead to shame eventually. Uh, guilt is related to a, a certain action or a specific activity, while shame talks to and speaks to your core identity. Guilt says, this is what I did and I feel bad about it. Shame says, this is who I am, and I feel bad about it. Shame, uh, it, 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 it keeps us bound. It keeps us locked up. Shame says, if people really knew what I was like, they wouldn't love me, and they wouldn't want me. And so shame actually messes with the, our, our very identity, um, The Greek word for shame is closely tied to the idea of confusion. Isn't that interesting? So when we're operating under shame, uh, when we've allowed unchecked guilt over what we've done to then morph into um, guilt and, and, and regret over who we are, we get confused about our own identity. And how many of you know that's a serious issue in our culture today is people being confused about who they are. 
And, 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 it's, and it's related to shame. Now, I want to say this. Guilt and shame can come from, both of these can come from something that we ourselves have done. Or they can come from something that was done to us. Especially when we're children. When we're very young, when words are spoken over us or or actions are done to us, uh, we can actually feel guilty about the things that someone else did wrong to us. See, kids, and, and this is important for you parents, kids have this amazing ability to make everything about themselves. And we know this, right? Because when an adult is making everything about them, making everything about themselves, we say, well, you're just acting like a kid. You're acting like a child. We call it being childish, right? Because, because they're making everything about themselves. And so children do that as well and, and, and it, because they have such need uh, to be loved and to be re- known and to be uh, cherished. And when something negative happens to a child, they just automatically assume it was because of them. And so this guilt, this guilt comes in, and if that guilt isn't, isn't taken out of the child, it will turn into shame. And shame, because it affects your core identity, will change how you act. Shame will change how you interact with people. Shame will change what you think other people are thinking. And so we, we've got to recognize that this shame leads us into confusion. The, the reason why shame is kryptonite and it's so detrimental to us is because it attacks our identity, which is the very thing that Jesus came to save. You know, when Jesus died on the cross, he, he wasn't just buying our ticket to heaven, and that's wonderful. He did that, but he wasn't just doing that. He was actually, Scripture talks about us, us getting his, his name and, and, and a name means a little bit in our culture today, but back then, your name meant everything. Your name endowed you with rights and responsibilities and with privileges. And when Jesus came and he died and he rose again, he said, you're mine. He, not just said, he didn't just say, you're mine in the future, but he said, you're mine now, and I give to you my name, my authority, all the good things that come with being a son or daughter of God, you now get. And so shame attacks our identity. And if we're walking in the wrong identity because of shame, and we're not receiving the Lord's identity that he's given to us, then we're, we're, it's going to disqualify us from ministry. I, I remember seasons of my own life where I've been ministering, like literally laying, laying on hands. And and, and imparting things to people. And in my mind, I'm replaying sins that I'd committed. That was guilt. And if that goes unchecked, by the way, you talk to it and you say, that's not me anymore. That's not the reality of who I am. But if that goes unchecked, next thing you know, at least I was still praying for people, but I was doing it under a guilty conscience. But what will happen if that goes unchecked, you'll stop praying for people. Because you don't feel like you have any authority or any, you know, uh, any, any way of getting up there, um, any credibility to act on God's behalf because you're so ashamed of who you are. So this is a big kryptonite. This is a big one. This is a big one. We actually uh, read about this um, in, in Genesis. We read about shame, and, and we can't read the whole thing. Uh, but our reaction to guilt and shame is to wear fig leaves. 
That's our reaction. We're going to talk about what that means in a second. We're going to talk about specific fig leaves. But in, in the book of Genesis, uh, it talks about creation. I'm going to paraphrase for the sake of time here. But uh, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, just because I'm weird, is um, Genesis 2. is the last verse. It says, Now the man and his wife were both naked. The King James says, and they did not know it. Which is really funny to me. Because whenever I'm naked, I know it. And you would too. <laughs> I mean, that, you know, that's such a foreign concept to us, right? They were naked, did not know it. The New Living puts it this way. It says, they were both naked and they felt no shame. There was total innocence. Their identity had not been corrupted. And so they thought, I mean, yeah, there's, there's, there's total exposure, no problem, right? But, but what happens, as you know, is the serpent comes and tempts Eve and says, hey, like, you know what? Let's just read this. Let's start in, in, in Genesis 3. We'll just read this really quickly. Verse 1. I'm in the New Living Translation. It says, The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. And one day he asked the woman, Did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any tree in the garden? Now, this is, this is a window into how the devil operates, okay? God had said, Every tree is good for you to eat except for one. But what did Satan say? He said... Did God really say you can't eat from any tree? He, 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 placed that, he placed that seed of doubt. He put the focus on what we couldn't do instead of what we could do. He said, that's not fair, is that? God, God said that you can't eat from any tree. And Eve was like, no, 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 that's not what he said. He said, we can't eat from that tree. Now where is her focus? On that one tree. On that one tree. Of course we may eat fruit from the trees of the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. Hey, she knew. She knew what scripture said. She knew what God had said, right? She knew the instructions. She knew the rules. Didn't help her very much. Verse 4, you won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. Now, here's the thing. Now, don't let this offend you. Okay, But the devil didn't lie. He, he, he deceived a little bit. He said, you will not surely die. Did they die immediately? No. They died spiritually. They died spiritually. So he was telling the truth. The devil doesn't, he usually doesn't tell us the opposite. Right? He doesn't say, that wall over there is blue. We'd be like, no, it's not. Right? But what he does is he just, he just turns it a little bit to get us to, to believe a lie. So he says, uh, he says, you know, you won't die, but God knows. And this part's absolutely true. The, tr- the tree was called tree of knowledge of good and evil. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. Now, you won't be like God, but you'll have a, a, a worse, um, inferior version of wisdom. You'll have a worldly wisdom available to you if you do this. So the woman was convinced. She saw the tree. It was beautiful. And its fruit looked delicious, and she, want, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. She gave some to her husband, who was with her. Adam, what are you doing, man? Eve always gets the blame. Well, you know, the woman ate the apple. She did, but he was right there. I mean, what are you doing, dude? Like, he should have stepped up, be a man, and lead, Right? Guys, don't blame, don't, blame your ladies, don't blame your ladies for what they're doing if you're not leading in your home. Come on. 
So he was with her. He ate it too. And at that moment, their eyes were opened. Now, here's, here's, where, we're, here's where we're getting. At that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. Again, their identity was changed. Their identity was changed. It was no longer, I am being led by God. It's, it's I'm being led by my own wisdom, right? It gave them the ability to have an inferior version of worldly wisdom. They felt shame at their nakedness, so they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. And this is what we do. When we feel shame, when we feel guilt, we sew fig leaves, fig leaves together. We try to wear fig leaves. Now, I'm not a botanist, <laughs> but I can tell you, without even testing it out, that fig leaves aren't very comfortable. <laughs> right? I mean, that's just horrible clothing. <laughs> fig leaves, they aren't comfortable. Here's something else about fig leaves. They're temporary. I mean, think about it. With any type of plant, when it's removed from the source, it begins to shrivel and die immediately. It's only going to last a little bit. And so I want to talk to you real quick about two fig leaves that we tend to wear um, when, uh, when we feel shame. Here's the first one. It's the fig leaves of hiding. Hiding. We just keep reading in Genesis chapter 3, verse 10. Um, he's looking, um, we'll just keep reading verse 8. The cool evening breezes were blowing. The man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord among the trees. And the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He said, I, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. You know, the, the word in Hebrew for shame um, it, it actually comes from a root word that means to cover, to cover. One of our first reactions, the first fig leaves we try to put on when we're ashamed and walking in shame is to try to hide, is to try to hide, try to hide the, re- the reality of who we really are. And this is what Adam and Eve do. They're hiding. They hear God and they should have run to God. They should have said, God, we made a huge mistake. We were tricked, we were deceived, but it was our own fault, and, and, and so we need your help. We're, we're running to you, God, because we know that in you is the solution. But they didn't do that. They hid. Because that's, that's what shame wants you to do. It wants you to put on the fig leaves of hiding. The church is full of hiding people. Full of people who, who are just, just wrecked with guilt, wrecked with shame, and they sit in the pews or in the chairs every Sunday and they hide. And they think, my religious duty of attending a service is going, to, is going to eradicate the shame in my life. But it's not. It's just hiding. It's just fig leaves. It's not comfortable and it's not going to last. So hiding is one of the things we tend to do when we're confronted with shame. Now you can hide in two ways. You can hide from withdrawing. Or you can hide by lying. You can hide by putting on a front. Right? And, so we all, and how many churches do you know it's all about, hey, everything's perfect, we're great, it's this church. Right? And like everything's, like they're just like, hallelujah. Like everything, and but then they get in their car, they're yelling at each other, and they, you know. They're lying, they're hiding. They came to church, that's great. But they're but they're they're hiding. They're just putting up a facade. So shame causes us to hide. Shame causes us to withdraw. One of the reasons 
if, if someone uh, is a regular part of a church, they attend regularly, they're plugged in, and then they stop coming all of a sudden, I know it's only a handful of reasons. One is that they're probably mad at me or one of you, <laughs> which they're going to have to get over that because that's going to happen, right? Or they're hiding. They're, 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 they're some, there's guilt or there's shame in their life. They've begun a sin. They've, they've, they weren't able to have victory over a specific sin, something, and so they're hiding. And then I see them out in town somewhere at Walmart, and they're, um. It's so funny to me. You know, I'll just say, hey, how's it going? They're like, we, uh, we, we're, we're still going to go to church. And I'm like, I didn't ask you about church. I, I was just want to see how you're doing, you know. But what? They're hiding. They're hiding. And it's usually a root of shame. I've got to keep going. Here's another group of fig leaves that we tend to put on. And we see Adam and Eve do this as well. And it's blaming. The other fig leaves we try to put on is to blame. Verse 11. Who told you you were naked? The Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? See, God immediately knew what had happened. He immediately knew they had that inferior wisdom, that their eyes were open, they'd lost their innocence. Verse 12, here's the response, more fig leaves. The man replied, it was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit and I ate it. It wasn't me, Lord. It was the one-armed man, right? It, it, it wasn't me. It was that woman, right? I know parents have never done that. When your kids are acting up, you're like, your child has done this. You start blaming? Yeah. So shame, we can't deal with the weight of the guilt, the weight of the shame, and so we try to put it on someone else. So Adam says, hey, it was that woman you gave me. You know how you fashioned, you thought it'd be a good idea to make someone from my rib, which there's still a scar here, Lord. Yeah, that one, she gave it to me. And then, verse 13, the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? And she said, well, the serpent deceived me. Blame? Well, it wasn't my fault. The devil made me do it. Right? Look what you made me do. That's, that's, a, that's a song. It's a terrible song that's out right now. Have y'all heard that song? You know what I'm talking about? Uh, yeah, just, oh. Uh, it's like that poor girl, what happened to her? Anyway. So it's, it's blaming, right? It's, 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 it's blaming. You know, when we're, we're, we're confronted with our own guilt, we're confronted with our own shame, it's a defense. Blame is a defense strategy. So we won't feel those feelings. We don't take personal responsibility for what we've done or who we've become because we just don't want to face it. Here's the problem with blame. This is a big problem. Blame takes your power to change away from you, and it gives it to another person. When you say, I am the way I am because of them, you can no longer change yourself. You're looking to them for your own change. And it leaves you powerless Blame leaves you powerless. It's not a good place to be. It's not a good place to be. So we don't want to wear fig leaves, do we? We, want, we don't want to embrace hiding or blaming. So let's talk about the ways that, sh- that shame is overcome. And we're going to drill down and focus on shame. Guilt and shame work together. Guilt is, is regret over what you've done, and then that will lead to regret over who you are, which is shame. So we're going to talk about shame specifically um, How do we overcome shame? I'm going to give you three ways. Here's the first one. By receiving God's acceptance. By receiving God's 
acceptance. Remember, shame is an identity problem. It's, it's a problem with who you feel you are. So the answer to that is to get a biblical, accurate understanding of who God says you are. And God says that you are accepted. Did you know that God is not mad at you? He's not mad at you. I mean, so many times, right, the dishwasher breaks down. You're like, oh, God, what did I do? He's like, I ain't touching that. That's not my, I didn't do that. Right? We, and we just, we just go there automatically. We think God is mad at us for some reason, but he's not. If, if, he, if God was mad at you, why would he send Jesus to save you? That doesn't make any sense, does it? He's not mad at you. As a matter of fact, Colossians 1.20 says this. It says, through him, Jesus... God reconciled everything. Are you part of everything? You are something, so you're part of everything. You're not nothing. You're part of everything, right? So God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood. You're on earth, so therefore God has made peace with you through the blood of Jesus, right? God's not mad at you. Now, immediately, some of you, especially if you're brought up in church, you're like, but he doesn't like it when I do bad things, right? You go there because you've been trained that Christianity is behavior modification. And it's not. Now, behavior modification will result as you draw near to the holy, amazing, powerful God that you serve. But it's the result of being near to him. It's not what you do to get near to him. God accepts you. He's accepted you. John 3.18 says, Whoever believes in him is not condemned. If you have a relationship with Jesus Christ this morning, you are not condemned. He's not looking down at you. He's not seeing you through your sin. Now, i got to tell you, if you do not have a relationship with Jesus this morning, then you are condemned. That's actually the second half of that verse. It says, you're already condemned. There's this, there's this theological concept that we are born condemned. And, and, and it says that in, in John 3.18. It says, you're already condemned because you haven't received Jesus. But once you receive Jesus, you are no longer condemned. So God has accepted you. Romans 5.8 says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait until you knew how to act right. He didn't wait wait until you got it all together. He decided to go ahead and accept you. Have you ever gotten a you ever gotten a, a letter in the mail for a credit card company that says, You're pre-approved. Honey, look, I've been pre-approved to give all of our money to that company. <laughs> Thanks for approving me. Well, you know what though? You're pre-approved. God has pre-approved you through the blood of Jesus. And he's, he's not mad at you. And, and, and as you get this acceptance of who you are, not all that you do, but who you are, as you understand that acceptance, as you understand that acceptance, two things will happen. One, you, you'll, you'll be free from shame in your life because shame can't mess with you because you're like, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about, shame. Who I am is awesome. Because who I am is found in Christ. The other thing that will happen is you'll actually begin to act right. Because people act the way that they're treated. That's a, that's a freebie for you that are married, those of you that are married. 
Well, my spouse won't do what I want them to. Well, treat them like you would if they were. Treat them like you would if they were doing everything you wanted them to. And they'll become the best version of themselves possible. That's a freebie. Okay. Um, so shame is overcome by receiving God's acceptance. Here's the other thing. Shame is overcome by receiving God's cleansing. Receiving God's cleansing. Now, this gets lost on us a little bit. We, we preach a gospel um, that's uh, a little simplified sometimes. Uh, you know, where we believe the right thing and we fill out a card um, and, and then boom, you know, we're, we're in. Which is true, technically. The filling out of the card thing is, you know, doesn't have any power. But, but it's, it's about relationship. It's not about being in a building on Sunday mornings. Um, it's about a relationship with God. The reason we come to a building uh, on Sunday mornings is to help our relationship, right? But if coming to a building on Sunday mornings is not helping your relationship, then you need to go find another building to go to <laughs> because that's the point of it, right? And so it's about receiving a close relationship, and in the relationship is cleansing. Just, just listen to this. It's First John 1. We're going to read 7, 8, and 9. It says, If we are living in the light as God is in the light... Then we have fellowship with each other, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness or wickedness. See, God saved you for a reason. He's not just bringing you in as this dirty, nasty kid and keeps you dirty and nasty. No, he brings you in and he cleans you up. And so as, as God cleanses you, shame has no voice. Shame has no voice. Um, and I encourage you, embrace God's cleansing. He saved you for a purpose. Inside you are giftings, talents, abilities, all sorts of good stuff that he's put in you to give as gifts to other people. But you've got to allow yourself to be cleansed by him. You've got to come in close enough proximity to him to receive that forgiveness, to receive that cleansing that he offers. Amen? Here's the last way we overcome shame, is we learn to despise shame. We learn to despise shame. I know that might not make sense. It's based off of a scripture in Hebrews 12, and it shows us what Jesus did with shame. It's a beautiful scripture. It's, uh, this whole chapter is pretty amazing. But it says, I want to get in the New King James version of this. It says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. Some versions say disregarding the shame. And is sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. We're kind of entering into the middle of a thought here. But, but the point, what I want to focus on is that, is, is that phrase, despising the shame. Despising the shame. The shame. Now, the word translated despise here, it literally means to think down on. Uh, the, the idea is to regard something uh, as of little consequence 
or as nothing. In other words, you know, we might say today, oh, think nothing of it. Right? Think nothing of it. That's despising something. That's to despise it. So I, I just, I'm not going to think anything of that. I'm going to disregard it. And so Jesus, it says, Jesus despised the shame of the cross. Now, here's what you need to know about the cross. And I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. Uh, you know, the cross was not just an instrument of death. It was an instrument of torture. It also was an instrument of shame. The Romans developed capital punishment through the cross to purposefully and intentionally shame the person that was being punished. The idea, I mean, even today, you know, whether it's the electric chair or lethal injection, even a firing squad back in the day, or even hanging, all these things were pretty quick, right? I mean, they happened, boom, like that. But the cross was created and intended to take a long time. It was, it was intended to humiliate, mock, and bring shame upon the person that was being crucified. I shared with you a couple weeks ago, the cross was not as tall as most people think it was. It wasn't this really high thing. Your feet were usually about this tall off the ground. Just enough to taunt you. To say, you're almost there, but you won't ever touch the ground again. Close enough for people to come up to you. And talk to you and spit on you and taunt you. And this is kind of rough for some of y'all to, to get. But, but when you were crucified, you were crucified 100% totally naked. Now I know in the movies and stuff, there's a loincloth. There's some people that think, well, we believe that you know, the, the Romans would have let the, the Jews have a loincloth. Guys, there's no evidence of that whatsoever. It was a shameful, humiliating experience. What did Jesus do? He thought nothing of it. He actually embraced embraced the humiliation for your behalf so that you don't have to be humiliated. He actually embraced the shame on your behalf so you don't have to be filled with shame. We can despise the shame just like Jesus despised the shame when we are willing to be exposed just like he was. He allowed himself to be exposed. We think nothing of shame by confessing it and bringing it to light. See, shame grows in the dark. It grows in the dark. You know, it, it, that, that's why it, it, it's almost like a virus that infects you, you know, undealt with guilt. And, and, then, and then it goes down deep into our hearts and it causes us, right, to hide. Remember, it causes us to blame and, and it causes us to retreat and it causes us to keep this area of our lives in the dark. And just like a mold or, or just like, you, you know, stuff that, that grows in the dark is how shame works. And so you've got to bring it into the light. James 5.16 says, confess your sins to each other. Now, the word sins here, it means your faults, your mistakes. It's not just these, you know, it's just your, your shortcomings. Confess your shortcomings, your faults, your failures, your sins to each other. And pray for each other so that you may be healed. Not forgiven. You confess to God to be forgiven. But you confess to each other to be healed. There's healing of shame that comes through exposure. 
And so we've got to learn to despise shame just like Jesus did and said, hey, I'm willing to be exposed. Now, there needs to be wisdom. You don't go tell everyone everything, right? <laughs> right? There's some people that want, to, that want to use your story against you. I mean, it's, they're out there. But that's why we're so intent on creating a family here at VFC that, that's love, loving and accepting of everyone, regardless of their background, so that we can bring healing to each other. So this is really cool. Let me show you something, and then we'll be done. Go back, to, go back to Genesis 3. Genesis 3.21. Remember back in Genesis 3, we read, shame had come on Adam and Eve, and, and they had decided to hide, and they had decided to blame, right? The fig leaves that we all wear. Check out what God did. Galatians 3.21. And the Lord God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. God had mercy on Adam and Eve. He said, your fig leaves aren't going to cut it. I understand you're now in a broken state. And you need my intervention. It's not going to take fig leaves. It's going to take real skin. And Jesus is the real skin. This was just a picture. This animal skin that he, that he used was just a picture of the full, finite, permanent redemption that was to come through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the solution to shame in our lives. It's his skin that we cover in. Not hiding, not for the purpose of hiding, but for the purpose of cleansing and being made whole and being made righteous and turning into the best possible version of ourselves because we're found in him, no longer in our own ability. He's way better than fig leaves, amen? This is my question to you. Are you ready to be set free from guilt and shame? Are you ready to face those things, things that you did, things that were done to you? And get this stuff out of our hearts because it messes with our identity. It is kryptonite. It will weaken you. It will cripple you from the calling of God in your life. Let's stand for prayer.